0: welcome or welcome back i'm nate and i'm christopher and we are stranger than we're gonna delve into the unsolved the mysterious the misunderstood the creepy and we're doing it without joanna this time she had some family obligations she had to take care of i'm sure she'll talk about when she comes back so instead we got a new guy back again you may remember him from the past
1: the satanic
0: panic yep both parts and he's back again for another very cheery topic (laughs) this time we are going to talk about the tuskegee syphilis study yum yum indeed just real quick just
1: so you guys are aware of what syphilis is, I actually downloaded the sheet on it from the CDC website, and it's nasty, and it's, it's three stages. You get a small little bump, and then it goes away, and then you get rashes that can explode like pustules, and then it goes away, and then after that, then it really kicks in, and it starts to eat away at your organs, and your bones, and your marrow, and... This stuff is nasty.
0: We will uh, definitely get into exactly—we'll get to know syphilis fairly well. It's like carcass lyrics. A a little bit, yes. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. In 1932, the Public Health Service and the Tuskegee Institute embarked on a study. The Tuskegee Institute, now called Tuskegee University, is what's called a historically black university. Historically black colleges and universities are exactly what they sound like. Colleges for African-Americans. Before the 1964 Civil Rights Act that outlawed segregation, many colleges would either straight up not allow black Americans or would limit the number that would be admitted. And this was all the way down to kindergarten preschool. There was black preschools and white preschools, and they were all severely underfunded. This was mainly in the South. You mean in the deep South? I know. I know. I know. Go figure. I know. Doesn't make sense, but that's that's what it was like then. Tuskegee is the name of the city in Alabama that the college is located in. There are 101 of these colleges out there, both public and private today. The Public Health Service is the division of the United States government that concerns itself with public health. In 1932, these two organizations got together to study 600 men in exchange for free medical exams, treatment of minor problems, hot meals, and burial insurance, these men were to be treated for bad blood. Bad blood. Like the ministry song. Very much like it. Bad blood was a colloquial name for a variety of ailments, including anemia, fatigue, and of course,
1: syphilis. Syphilis.
0: Did I mention these were all black men? Because they were all black men. Every one of them. Chosen for this study, six hundred. They were quite poor. It was the Great Depression, and times were tough.
1: And apparently, most were illiterate. Oh, I'm... is an important plot point for later on down the road.
0: Yes. If it only had lasted six months, the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male, which is what it was called, would have been a big what the fuckin' history. Basically, the fact that it lasted for forty years, however, makes it a colossal what the fuckin' history. A colossal. Of the 600, 399 of them had syphilis, and then 201 did not, and the 201 were used as a control group. Syphilis is not pretty. And until 1942, there was no real viable treatment for it. They would use, you know, arsenic and mercury injections to control it, but those were both expensive and dangerous. They were (laughs) very dangerous. They would— Arsenic. Yeah, the arsenic, mercury,
1: and mercury. Not good for you. If it was exposed to too much air, it would crystallize and then become extremely toxic. And so it had to be handled with extreme care just between taking it out of its storage container and mixing it with the hundreds of milliliters of water that they had to use to be able to tone it down enough to actually use it in the human body. This is not good. <laughs> and the, this is better than syphilis.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Penicillin was discovered in 1928 and was used to treat infections in 1942. It was used to treat syphilis in 1943, but they didn't use enough of it to treat it effectively until 1945. It's caused by a bacterium called Treponema palatum. This bacterium either causes syphilis, Bajil, or yaws. Bajil is also called non-venereal endemic syphilis. It's a chronic skin disease. It not only affects the skin, but it also will spread to the bone and organs internally. The disease is spread from mouth-to-mouth contact and is completely curable with antibiotics.
1: Apparently, it is not transferable via toilet seat, shared clothing, or anything of that sort. No. Unlike what a lot of people think. It it, it literally has to be skin-to-skin contact. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. yaws is a skin infection that presents itself with a hard swelling that may burst into an ulcer, which sounds fucking lovely. Yum. It will heal in a few months, but as soon as a few weeks or as long as a few years later, joints and bones become painful. Skin on the palms and bottoms of the feet thicken and crack. Lesions return, usually nose but sometimes other bones become misshapen, and after the five-year mark, large areas of skin just die. That sounds hot. Very attractive. The physical deformities occur in about 10% of those infected. This is, of course, all shit that happens when the disease goes untreated. It's spread by coming into contact with the goo from another person's sores, and is usually spread by kids playing together filthy fucking animals (laughs) (laughs) fortunately with antibiotics this can also be cured pretty easily yeah i mean it's a simple yo yeah these two are pretty nasty but they're not syphilis no now we don't really know why this particular bacterium sometimes causes different diseases because it's all basically the same one i believe it's got to be how
1: it interacts with someone's system. Something.
0: Something. No. Yeah, who knows? No one, really. Syphilis. Well, around 21 days after you come into contact with infected lesion, the victim will develop a chancre. <sighs> in men, the most common locations for these lesions are in the anus and on the penis. It depends on what kind of sex and with whom. And then it's usually on the cervix for women. They'll last up to about six weeks or so. Untreated. This is all untreated. The secondary stage begins four to ten weeks later. The victim may have a non-itchy rash or zit-like things. Even like under your palms of your hands, it's like everywhere. A rash
1: on the palms of your hands. Yeah, and under the pads. What you been doing, boy? (laughs) Yeah, under the
0: pads of your feet. So that's the first and secondary stages. There's also something called latent syphilis. Early stage is when a person shows no symptoms in under a year since the secondary stage. So, you know, secondary stage hits, it's over. You haven't experienced any more symptoms in under a year. That is early latent syphilis.
1: And up to that point, it's fairly easy to cure.
0: I I believe. After a year, it's called late stage latent syphilis. And it is asymptomatic. And though still contagious, it's not nearly as contagious as other stages. That brings us to tertiary syphilis. This occurs from about 3 to 15 years after the initial infection, and it's also divided up. Gametuous syphilis, late neurosyphilis, and cardiovascular syphilis. Untreated, a third of the infected will develop this stage of syphilis. Latent neurosyphilis is the rarest and shows as seizures, dementia and a variety of other brain issues.
1: Wasn't there a royalty like in France that had that?
0: I believe so. I think they thought one of the Louis had it. Yeah. I can't remember he which went, one. He went mad. Yeah.
1: From the syphilis.
0: Yeah, cuz it'll that's that's it'll do that. Yeah. The cardiovascular variety basically makes the aorta stop working properly. It gets inflamed and like loses elasticity. Oh. <laughs> so that's unfortunate. Yeah,
1: most definitely. The major pipeline for your you know blood.
0: Yeah, yeah. Gummatous syphilis shows as benign soft tumors, but they can get pretty fucking big. They can affect anything and can be anywhere. So they can be on your face or your arm or your head or whatever. And so that's where you get the really misshapen looking things. Makes you think how many of the leper colonies were actually suffering from syphilis. Probably both leprosy and syphilis. Yeah. Hansen's disease and syphilis, actually. Good
1: lord. That's just, you know, a bad weekend.
0: That is not a good weekend. There's also a congenital syphilis, which is from mother to child. Two-thirds of these babies show no symptoms, and with treatment to the baby in utero and the mother before the baby is born, a baby being born fine like without syphilis is like 98 percent, so it's really not that big of a deal if treated if not treated then that child's in for a world of hurt yes we'll talk about that a little bit later i just fucking that some of the pictures just horrify my fucking right. life it's just it it's is so the stuff awful. of nightmares it's so
1: awful i've actually got a, a book called death scenes that was put together by an l.a county homicide detective over the course of his career of photos and it's got a whole section on syphilis victims and it's god yeah
0: that sounds horrific yeah especially the children i mean just uh
1: they don't have any choice in it no, so it's, it's that makes that even worse
0: it's just fucking terrible uh so we can all agree that syphilis is bad <laughs>
1: That's the whole point here up to this point. <laughs> we can
0: agree that it should be studied, and we should eradicate the shit out of it. The way that the Tuskegee Institute and the Public Health Service decided to go about this in the 1930s was not the way it should have been handled. No, not in the slightest. This idea came from a study done in 1928 in Norway. The Norwegian study gained information by asking those who already had untreated syphilis about their experience
1: asking them
0: yes they would they would interview these people and they would give them medical exams these people who like lived someplace where they just didn't have access to doctors but had managed to get syphilis because it was running fucking rampant because no one knew anything besides arsenic and goddamn mercury
1: (laughs) which killed you pretty much anyway right or
0: like maybe some kind of herb that didn't do anything but made you like itch less or something i don't know but hey the
1: syphilis is cured
0: (laughs) yeah i was just not knowing and thinking like oh well whatever (laughs) At any rate, that's how they went about doing it. Hey, you've had this for a while. Tell us your experiences. Can we study you? Exactly. In 1929, so we're going back three years before the study started, the Rosenwald Fund started a syphilis treatment program in five southern states. They wanted to locate people with syphilis and treat them. Sounds like a fucking good idea to me. Noble as fuck. The Rosenwald Fund was established in 1917 by Julius Rosenwald, who ended up being the part-owner of Sears Roebuck & Company. This fund was set up to donate all of its cash and not replenish itself. It donated over $70 million in its run, which lasted until 1948. If the $70 million had been donated all at one time today, it would be worth somewhere between three-quarters to one billion dollars. It's hard to say exactly how much because the inflation rate changes every year and it wasn't all given out at one time, but a fistful of cash. It gives you an idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of money. I mean, they they, they did a lot of stuff. In the southern United States, this fund was responsible for building over 5,000 schools, single building and larger, as well as homes for teachers that taught at these schools. Which was a good way to get teachers to teach at your schools. Good Lord, where is
1: our millionaire now to put into our education system?
0: Please. A a trillionaire at this point. Right. Roba, you're our only hope. Right. (laughs) Right. At this time, segregation was still a thing. And the powers that be just didn't give a shit about educating black people.
1: And remember, did we mention this was the Deep
0: South? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Alabama. Yes. Uh, This fund didn't just cough up the cash, though. It required white schools to assist in the administration of the black schools, as well as match the cash being put forth. Additionally, the community these schools were built were required to donate some money to the cause as well. I believe this is done not only to allow them to spread the money they had a little bit farther, but maybe also to give sort of a sense of community. Like, oh, well, we all did this. Yeah. Something like that. Well, at that time, you know, you're still coming
1: off of the Wild West wasn't that long ago when everybody was traveling together and settling together. So you still had quite a bit of that sense of community where everybody had to work together to keep a town running. And, you know, I mean, think about it. That's a late 20s. Well, Cars had only really just been invented not too long ago. Yeah, You know, I mean, so they're, they're still had that that strong sense of community then
0: possibly but it was also the post-civil war which is a lot different than the wild west days true so i I feel like there was a lot of damaged feelings i guess shit was all fucked up especially between i mean it's never been great (laughs) things haven't changed much (laughs) no i mean racially speaking throughout the entire (laughs) planet it's not generally been like a whole bunch of races just getting along Right? It's dumb that it's not, but that's the sad truth of existence up to this point. But anyways, we digress. Grants were also given directly to African-American thinkers and artists during the 30s and 40s. Dancers, doctors, writers, poets, musicians, and scientists. They asked, but did not require, that those who received the grants of one to $2,000 report back on how the money helped them. Roughly fifteen thousand to twenty two thousand depending on on what grants and what year it was received, so a a pretty good chunk of change for you know, if someone just came up to me and was like, "Here is twenty two thousand dollars i I certainly would not complain that would make my life quite a bit easier yeah i yeah when setting up the syphilis study, they had a short list of places they wanted to conduct it. One man who gave his recommendation was named Thomas Perrin Jr. He was the health commissioner of New York State at the time and ended up serving as the attorney general of the United States from 1936 to 1948. He was the one who said that Macon County, Alabama, where Tuskegee is located, though with the evidence available today, it's not clear how much he had to do with the study himself or what he knew about it. Either unable to get the state to match funding for the study or due to cutbacks as a result of, you know, the stock market crash, the Rosenwald Fund pulled its backing out in 1932. But never fear, listeners. The federal government is here to save the day.
1: Ooh. Our favorite.
0: Oh, yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) Just, you know, if you really want to fuck something up, bring in the federal government.
0: Well, here we go. Here we go. First, I'm going to talk about this particular doctor's name. (laughs) His name. It's his name I want to talk about first off. It's, if I were to just pronounce his name, his first name, mind you, it's Talia Farrow. T-A-L-I-A-F-E-R-R-O. (laughs) Talia Farrow. Right? Sounds like... Of Like some sort of something. It it, it doesn't look like it's pronounced Tolliver. Because it's pronounced Tolliver. It's pronounced (laughs) (laughs) T-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Dr. Tolliver Clark of the venereal disease section of the U.S. Public Health Service decided that it would be a good idea to follow a group of black men with syphilis to see how the infection progresses. His proposal was, after six to nine months of this, to begin treatment and then to... Track the progress of that.
1: Sounds noble as fuck also.
0: If this was all consensual, if you like told these people, yo, you got syphilis, can we watch the progression for a few months and then hook you up?
1: Kind of like they were doing over in Norway.
0: R- well, except in Norway, they had found them after the fact. Fair enough. At but... any rate, sounds like a good idea to get people with syphilis and study them if you know nothing about it, and then give them treatment and then study how the treatment goes
1: that isn't that how medical science works
0: yes just on a group of just people just all just a group of people a random group of people would be fine it's said that once he learned that his short-term idea was going to be drug out indefinitely he retired this was in 1933 before all of this he enlisted the help of the tuskegee institute and the arkansas regional public health office Dr. Eugene Heroit dibble Jr. Holy shit. That's a mouthful. Dr. Eugene Heroit dibble Jr. was head of the John Andrew Hospital at Tuskegee Institute and had also been pushing for the study to happen in Macon County. He felt that in addition to the study of the syphilis, it would provide great experience and training for interns and medical students. Once again, sounding noble as fuck. The staff at the Venereal Disease Clinic in Hot Springs, Arkansas, a regional public health service office, took charge of the protocols and procedures for the study and continued this even after the study became long-term. Off-site, they're coming up with all the different rules for this place to run under. Third party, off-site, sounds okay. The boss on-site was a guy named Dr. Raymond A. Vondeler who came up with imaginative ways of gaining consent for medical procedures, such as including spinal taps and free exams. It was also his idea to extend the study. Yep. He retired around the time that we started using penicillin. His assistant, Dr. John R. Heller, succeeded him in 1943. Despite his knowledge that penicillin could help the folks in the Tuskegee study, he opted not to, believing that he had a responsibility to study the syphilis's long-term effects.
1: Now remember, these guys were under the impression they were being treated.
0: <laughs> yes, which is really fucked up. Really fucked Granted, up? Granted, it was probably better they weren't being treated to begin with. Because to begin with, they would have just been pumped full of arsenic and mercury. Right. <laughs> and arsenic and mercury is bad. It will cure the syphilis. <laughs> it, it'll cure— Death cures everything. That's that's the truth. <laughs> Eunice Rivers, a registered nurse that had trained at Tuskegee Institute, was the main contact of the people involved in the study.
1: That one, that part got me, too, because they specifically hired her because she was an African-American nurse and she had contact with the community. So as they brought her in to help bring in these poor people and keep them going through the uh, throughout the course of the
0: treatment. And she was the one person that was there the entire time. The entire time. Well, at this point, everything around this study is kind of fucked up. <laughs> you can see where at the very base level, studying syphilis to cure it is a good idea. They went about it a really kind of fucked up way. There was no informed consent at all, really. And then keep in mind that
1: this was a pool of 600 African-American males that were pulled from a downtrodden, poor area of deep southern Alabama. And at the time, we didn't have civil liberties for other races in America yet. That didn't come along for decades
0: afterwards. And three hundred and one of the three hundred and one of these men had syphilis and were quote unquote being treated for it. Or perhaps in some cases not even told they had syphilis. At any rate, these men were having sex with like their wives and stuff and having children.
1: And this is where it gets even more fucked up. Yeah, because many of their wives ended up— there was like at least 40 documented cases of the wives having— ending up contracting the syphilis also, and who knows how many children. uh, They didn't have a number for the children, but uh, many, many children also ended up with the congenital syphilis.
0: Yes, yeah, that's—it's a bad scene all around. As previously mentioned, penicillin worked, and in 1943, the Henderson Act was passed. This required that people be tested and treated for STIs, sexually transmitted infections. It was the job of Dr. John Heller to keep this information from the subjects of the study. <laughs> they Not only did they not tell him that you're not
1: actually getting treated, you're getting studied, They and they... <laughs> They tricked them into coming in for the studies, like the spinal tap with the free medical exam. <laughs> now, they're specifically keeping the fucking penicillin away from them.
0: Yes. And this is at a time when the troops are going off to war, and they're getting dosed with penicillin before they go off to war. And they're still— Oh, you got chlamydia. You, you need this shot. <laughs> You've got anything. Take the shot. You're going off to fight where—in in the trenches, you know, there is— Shit and piss everywhere, you're going to need it. <laughs> Take two, son. <laughs> As we all know, World War II ended, and it came to light all the fucked up shit that the Nazis did in general, and, specific to this, the, in the field of medical experimentation. The Nuremberg Code was put into effect, which we learned about in the MK Ultra episode. Quickly, it's a list of rules for medical experimentation on people. Informed consent. <laughs> informed consent. Very important. Informed consent. <laughs> it's very important. And it's on it's on this list. In 1964, the World Health Organization again established that informed consent was needed before medical experimentation could be performed on people. And they call this the Declaration of Helsinki. The study continued for another eight years. July 26, 1972. The New York Times printed the story of these men from Tuskegee on the front page. Gene Heller of the Associated Press learned of the study and reported it on it the previous day.
1: The newspaper thing is one of those interesting things I saw. Because somebody brought up the idea of, well, why didn't these people you know, see the news or hear the news? And some of them did enter into the military and end up getting treatment actual penicillin treatment but that's where we harken back to the whole illiterate thing they specifically chose a pool of people from a downtrodden poor illiterate section and community and so even if they had seen the newspapers they couldn't read them anyways
0: yeah really just very unethical
1: (laughs) all around it's crazy how long it drug on afterwards, too, because after, they shut it down in 1973 after all of this came out. And it
0: drug on forever afterwards, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Peter Buxton worked for the United States Public Health Service. He had been hired in 1965 to interview patients suffering from STIs, and through the course of his work, he learned of what was going on in Macon County. The next year, 1966, he filed an official complaint on the grounds that the shit going down was completely unethical. <laughs> this was shot down up. because the experiment was still in progress. They're like, no, this shit's still going, so never mind. Just whatever. Don't worry about it. Two years later, he protested again and was ignored again. Four years after that is when Buxton told what he knew to Gene Heller. Buxton wasn't the first to complain, just the first to get listened to. In 1965, a medical student named Erwin Schatz. Schatz wrote a letter to the people doing the study that called them out for being unethical, which was ignored. He wrote a letter to the people doing the study and was like, you guys are bad, and was ignored. Shocker. That's because those
1: guys, those uh, criminal masterminds, uh, they wanted the study to continue until the deaths of their subjects so that they could autopsy
0: them. They wanted to see it from the whole Uh way through.
1: They specifically wanted to make sure that they could get the hands on the cadaver so they could
0: autopsy him. It's great. (laughs) Great. I mean, it would be lovely in the study of syphilis to have a cadaver like that. True. It is With informed informed consent. (laughs) It is not lovely. It is not a good idea to trick people into... I mean, this is one step away of had them having given them syphilis in the first place. I almost would not have been surprised if that had come out. If they're like, "Oh yeah, they just like just rounded up a bunch of people, gave them free medical exams, which actually infected them with syphilis." <laughs> I mean, they didn't do that—that that we know of. <laughs> but that would not surprise me at all. An underground newsletter written by William Carter Jenkins in 1968, "The Drum." was all about ending racism in the department he worked, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. It also called for an end to the Tuskegee study. Not only did nothing come of this, but no one is really sure who, if anyone, even read his newsletter. Sort of like a a blog that literally no one read. A tree falling in the woods. The New York Times article... Caused Senator Edward Kennedy to call congressional hearings to figure out what was going on. The study was shut down and the survivors were given penicillin. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes. Of the 399 infected men they had been following, 74 were still alive. Syphilis had killed 28 of them directly and 100 from complications. 40 of the women married to the men were infected and 19 children had congenital syphilis. Congenital syphilis presents itself in babies in a variety of ways. None are good. No, not at all. It often starts without any signs of anything being wrong. and The baby will just not feed very well and have a bit of a runny nose. If a baby is born symptomatic, it will either be stillborn or premature. If premature, it can have skin and skeletal abnormalities and or enlarged organs.
1: Yep. Getting into some hills, have
0: I, shit. If symptoms show up after the age of two, it's called late-stage congenital syphilis and can cause problems in the legs like bent bones and swollen joints, deformities in the face, as well as blindness or deafness. It's not not great. (laughs) Don't allow your child to have syphilis. (laughs) It's almost 100%. It's 98% you can get it handled. Just go to the doctor.
1: Definitely worse than autism.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, Vaccinate. Well, 197 <laughs> victims remaining that probably died of old age or perhaps in some kind of military altercation, although it may have been difficult to get into the military being riddled with syphilis. True. Although it was at one point during World War II, they were probably like, who cares? <laughs> we just need bodies. <laughs> because no compensation was offered— a 1974 class-action lawsuit was filed and settled out of court for $10 million. Today, 2019, that is $51,835,294.12, and all the living victims were given lifetime benefits as well as burial services. The next year, widows and wives were given lifetime benefits, and in 1995, the government added health benefits. The last direct victim died in January of 2004, the last widow five years later, and today there are 15 or fewer descendants still receiving benefits. This whole clusterfuck led to new laws being passed, you know, dealing with human research as well as medical ethics committees with members that are not doctors, which is good, right? Having doctors on there is also good, but it's nice to have some other people. It's harder to convince a non-doctor about a medical procedure or you a medical protocol when (laughs) they're bringing the human—like, look, this is a person we're talking about. And it's interesting
1: that a lot of this happened. uh, All of these were set in place by Clinton's administration.
0: Oh, yeah. He uh, apologized for the whole thing on behalf of the government and basically said it was profoundly wrong and racist as fuck. I actually, I took
1: a moment and I actually read that entire apology, the transcript from the apology. And it's actually really well put. and says, hey, you know, this happened. There's nothing we can do to change this. And it was completely fucking wrong, you know. But here's what we're going to do going forward. And his administration was the one that said a lot of these in into motion a lot of the stuff that we have going on now that protects the subjects of studies and stuff like that. And also, reading his apology and his admittal that we fucked up is like, dude, what the hell has happened to Capitol
0: Hill now? Oh, right.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Even if he was reading a scripted speech that was written for him, it is still eloquent and it is still you know, admitting a a mistake done and apologizing for it, and they set, you know, things in motion. Good Lord, Trump can't even read a scripted speech.
0: (laughs) That's fair, yeah. (laughs) It was a different time. True. I mean, he was still, you know, bombing the shit out of, you know, people all across the world.
1: Yeah, but he was also getting his dick sucked in the Oval Office, so, you know.
0: That's that's true.
1: That's pretty big pimping right there.
0: Well, can we really blame anyone directly involved with this study slash experiment? Good Lord, I hope so. Well, no one got in any kind of trouble for it, that I read anyway. I mean, I don't think anyone got in any kind of trouble for it. All it did was really make it so that we couldn't be done again. One of the things that I read was that it was because they didn't really go
1: about it as it was unethical and amoral definitely there's no doubt about that but there was nothing really illegal technically about the way they went about it especially right. considering the way it was you know the time frame that it was done in and then it just kind of flew under the radar for a while and stuff too and
0: probably mainly because of racism
1: yeah and so nobody gave a shit, and they also didn't want to holler it to the world, hey, we're testing on these subjects without their consent and studying long-term, because if they did that, they wouldn't get to continue studying long-term, you know, until people started to raise their voices. And it, you know, they re- started raising their voices so much in the late 60s because, well, hell, oh, we had civil rights coming along and yeah, stuff, yeah. you know? And so they're like, um, excuse me, you know, these are humans too, and— You've got these doctors over here keeping a zoo of syphilis patients.
0: It's like the island of Dr. Moreau, but with syphilis. Right? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, man. That's just fucked. You know? And you've got these some of these doctors out of it. Well, N- Nurse Rivers, she was involved the whole time. and it Makes and you wonder can, if she
1: stuck around because she actually gave a shit about the patients. You know? I'm
0: sure she, I'm sure that was a reason. I it mean, was can, part of her community. Can blame her? I mean, yeah. no, you can't blame her because no. she was a black woman in the 1960s. Uh, You're a damn good job. (laughs) A white woman in the 1960s wasn't usually raising no hell with no doctors, and a black woman was certainly not doing that in the 1960s in Alabama to a white doctor. No No, way. No (laughs) way. No way at all. And then there is also, like, the Tuskegee Institute, like— what the fuck's up with that? Well, the claims that I've read is that they were sort of like tricked into the whole thing. Like they didn't really know what was happening.
1: It seems to me like a lot of people didn't really actually know what they were doing when they first started this. You they know? were
0: just kind of doing stuff. Like there was there a just couple like of those... we need to
1: know about it, but
0: there was a, there's the doctor who started it. Tolliver. Tolliver Clark, but he, didn't i mean his idea was to you know i don't know if he cared about consent so much but his idea was to not continue the study not at least certainly not yeah. for 40 years he wanted to do it for 6 to 9 months and then and considering where they got their inspiration from they should have followed in that pattern
1: more like hey we see you have this disease that disease sucks and we've got a couple of you know Medicines, we'd like to try out on you. Would you mind telling us about your experience and we'll try to cure you? You know, hey, that that sounds great. That's yeah. how medical studies should work. But not, hey, we're just going to go ahead and round these guys up, trick them into this study, not tell them exactly what we're doing, then keep the actual cure away from them, so that we can continue to study because we want to see them all the way through death so that we can get our hands on their corpses and study it. Which on one hand is evil genius because you gotta have this information,
0: but on the other hand, it's just fucked up. Yeah, it's quite fucked up. It's it's definitely fucked up. <laughs> and there are there are definitely better ways to get the study subjects you need you don't need to grow your own that's a terrible way of going about it uh, you also have to look at the time this was when this all began a time when eugenics was a thing in america still so this was yep. i mean it was it wasn't until hitler was like yo eugenics are great that america was like ooh i mean that's not good <laughs> brush that under the rug so that could have also sort of played a part in it i mean this wasn't california but still But yeah, a couple of those doctors that were like the one in charge with not telling them about penicillin. Yeah, that guy's a dickhead. That's not great. And then the the on site boss, from what I've read, is that he wasn't overly great either. Coming up with imaginative ways of getting the consent, just like, oh yeah, free exam. It's just you know, (laughs) here, this is just a (laughs) stab in your fucking back.
1: (laughs) This is just a flu shot. We're just gonna tap. Down here and you oh it goes in your lower back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh and we're just drawing out a little bit of fluid to test it and see what kind of
0: flu you got. You're fine, you're fine. In nineteen thirties. Oh my god. Spinal tap in the nineteen thirties sounds like the worst thing ever. Didn't think that band
1: was that old either, did you?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well this is actually something that's still talked about today in in medical schools it's it's usually a debate of ethics as it should be yes as it should be I wonder how much of what we know about syphilis was actually learned from this study
1: probably a lot and so and that's where it's like one of those crazy ethical train track questions you know is this sucked and it was a major what the fuck for America but we learned a lot of shit out of it and we got a lot of good procedures and practices out of it and institutes and so <laughs> it's like a rose smelling turd
0: right well it's definitely something that should be talked about so we remember where we got some of the things that we have because we shouldn't forget we shouldn't forget it we shouldn't we shouldn't erase our history even though it's shitty Even atrocities. you got to learn from atrocities. We can't forget because then we'll do them again, and we shouldn't do that because that's not a great idea. Because that's stupid. That's totally stupid.
1: Although it would help with some of the overpopulation.
0: Right. But that's some uh, Georgia Guidestone shit, and we'll talk about that a different time. Cool. I'm down for meteors and zombies. Meteors and zombies and zombie meteors?
1: Oh, dude. See, now you're talking my language.
0: Well that's about it for the Tuskegee syphilis experiment study.
1: I hope you listen to this while you were having dinner.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hope I hope not.
1: (laughs) Dessert, maybe? Some pudding?
0: (laughs) None of that. None of that. Well, you can check us out on all of the social medias basically. We're on the Twitter, the Instagram, Spotify facebook all stranger than podcast or a stranger than on facebook we have the strange space group come join us our patreon is patreon.com stranger than podcast five dollars gets you a bonus episode every month you also get stickers uh, when you join and you get to see our lovely notes uh, there's also one dollar and two dollar tiers take a look at the patreon page to see the stuff. We're also part of the Age of Radio podcast group. Check them out, ageofradio.org. There's all kinds of s- services you can buy stuff from there. There's like headphones and shit. It's a great, uh, some great stuff there. Check it out. Buy from our sponsors. You can email us at strangerthanpodcastgmail.com. At and you can buy our merchandise at tpublic.com user slash stranger than podcast. T-shirts, mugs, bags, cell phone cases, all kinds of crazy shit. So uh, magnets, I think there's magnets. That's right, magnets. Probably stickers too.
1: You got quarter socks?
0: Maybe, maybe quarter socks. Check out the site. It's a lovely site. There's two designs up and I, I promise I'll get another design up sometime soon. And with that said, we will talk to you next time. Later.